The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. My guest on today's episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is Thomas Davis. After 20 years in the tech sector, including running Google's European Enterprise Business Unit, Thomas founded Temporal in 2017 to disrupt cultural analytics and help businesses unlock and measure the true value of their people. Thomas is also an executive advisor to the Association of Corporate Treasurers, a regular keynote speaker published in Fastco and Medium, and a qualified executive coach. You started Temporal after 20 years in tech, including 10 fabulous years at Google. Tell us why you chose to set up a cultural analytics software venture. One of the things that I've always enjoyed is spending a lot of time with clients. I've always been very front of house in my career. And I guess the more experience I've had, spending more time with CEOs, CFOs across the C-suite, you know, I think the last 10 years is we've just seen many common trends, lots of kind of the same challenges kind of coming up again and again. You know, in, in my three roles at Google over a decade, which had a fabulous career there, you know, what became very evident is board members are trying to take advantage, continue to try to take advantage of digital and digital transformation. But I think the penny finally dropped probably in the last kind of year or so. But actually the role of organizational transformation within that, within the digital lens, was something that probably more time needed to be spent on that. And that's really where Temporal was founded in trying to help executives understand deeply what is going on within their organizations. So organizational insights. And in particular, I think we've always been fascinated in the role of culture within that. But ultimately, it's about you know, helping executives make more informed, better decisions to help them run their businesses. So, you know, it's a big challenge, and it's something that uh, isn't going to go away. Absolutely. How did you come up with the name Temporal? Yeah, it's one of those things that you know, I've, I've always been, again, interested in this kind of combination of humans and systems. You know, systems thinking is about looking about an organization or left to right with latitude and trying to figure out what to do and to join the dots and bringing some creative thought to that. So, you know, it was actually just kind of came to me in 2016, which is there is something about thinking and just kind of linking that to the temporal lobe, which is obviously kind of a key part of the brain that takes input and actually then derives meaning. And that's really what the temporal lobe does. So the name just kind of jumped, thought, yeah, this could fit. And then I guess as all good ideas, you need to be able to get the URL. So we were very fortunate. So um, that's, that's the background. They say that creating a brand new software category is one of the toughest challenges a company can take on. Even more established companies struggle to create these new categories, these new software categories. So what have you learned from your first two plus years at Temporal building, creating a category from scratch? Yeah, look, I think it has its advantages and its disadvantages. I think, you know, some of the... I, we have set out is to enjoy being inventors as well, rather than just kind of fast followers. And I think with that brings a certain amount of inherent 
energy and motivation within the teams, within the business. So I think that's something that you know we're we're very very keen to hold on to. The disadvantage of that is obviously is that you need to be prepared to build a brand, an identity, a company that doesn't sit with an existing frame. So with that, obviously, comes this need to educate around what are you trying to do. But again, I've always felt that this whole category that we're trying to create is around organizational intelligence and then to derive insight from systems, from people and from teams is actually a very real, but it's a very kind of understandable issue. And we thought, okay, this, this is something that may be net new, but actually it's something that we felt that was very real and not abstract and not theoretical. So that's where we've headed is organizational intelligence. And people seem to understand what we're doing. And I think that acuity of kind of vision is very, very important for any startup, especially one that is kind of you know, moving into a, into a new space. Were you committed from the get-go to building a, a software business with platforms and maybe some services around that? Or from the beginning, were you positioning yourselves more as a consulting business? I'm an enterprise guy. I've been doing this now for 25 years. I would call myself a business executive in that order. I'm a business person. I also you know, have, have worked for a few technology companies now, so I've got experience of that. I've always had an ambition to build a British technology company that is international because it's really, really hard. And you can probably name a handful of companies that have done that really successfully. So it's always been about building an enterprise technology organization, a software business. But, you know, look, in 2016, early 17, it was very much about getting the business on its feet and building brand and building reputation and building a client base. And that takes graft. We're self-funded. You know, we bootstrap the business. So, you know, absolutely, we've, we've done a lot of hard yards already on kind of raw consulting around culture and insights and technology. But I think we've really found our feet and we found our stride in, in what we do and how we do that. So our DNA is tech. You mentioned you're self-funded. The next question I was going to ask was about funding to date. It's interesting that you've gone through a pretty decent expansion without taking any external funding. Do you go to all these funding events? Do you meet the VCs and the angels and seed investors? Or do you just stay completely away from all of that and focus on building the business, building the brand, building the culture? It's a very good question. And I don't think there's a consistent answer. One will go through these various cycles. I think there's something that I was starting to learn as I was leaving Google is that I wanted to have discussions. I wanted to talk to people that were outside my existing frame of understanding, my existing relationships, just to try to get a different perspective, different views, different ideas. The early days of a startup, you know, most of the conversations you're trying to have is actually looking people in the eye when you're describing what you're planning to do, looking at their reaction and for a reaction. And I think that that natural kind of course correction over dozens and dozens, then hundreds of conversations, for me, has been probably one of the most pivotal things I've done to set Temporal up. And I think that also naturally extends to a different area of the market, whether that's possible investors, whether it's VC or angel. So look, yeah, I've had 
lots and lots of discussions. But I think you have to have a balance at some point. When you're in a particular cycle, it's very much down to acuity of vision. It's an execution plan. But as the founder, my job is to be looking around the next corner and then the next corner. So I'm always having discussions. But I think I've just become more and more judicious about how many and with whom. Because ultimately for us, we're very protective over our brand and our identity. So you know, any partners for us will need to have, I think, a pretty well-aligned philosophy of how we want to turn up. And that's very, very important to me. What do you most love about being an entrepreneur? And what have been the biggest challenges so far? Again, it's a very interesting question. If you'd have asked me six months ago and 12 months ago and 18 months, maybe the answer would have been different. But I think for me, naturally, and maybe that's just because of my age, I'm now 45, I've really, really enjoyed the latitude of learning rather than this kind of linear view of the world. And again, I spent 20, 25 years of building a career and, you know, trajectory, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it got to a certain point where it's like, oh man, I'm really, I want to sort of widen my view, widen my kind of perspective. And there has always been a part of me that wanted to be the CEO, to try it, to see whether I could run a business top to toe and look after P&L. And actually, getting GM or P&L experience in tech companies is extremely rare and it's very, very hard. So I think the combination of wanting to learn more, wanting to be and try to be a CEO, those are very big drivers for me. But actually doing something and founding something yourself from day one is a very, very cool experience. It's not for the faint-hearted, but... I would describe myself as having to have been a decathlete in the last two and a half, three years. You know, so those 10 disciplines that I've had to learn, some of them I'm not very good at. But that's been a huge part of my learning. And now, of course, now we are in this growth phase is I have the luxury of being able to bring people in to take one of those disciplines off me who are world class at that. And that's just such an exciting phase of the business of where we are right now is that we're adding some serious muscle to the business who are doing things way better than I could. And they just become these organizational multipliers of growth. And I just can't wait to see where the business is going to be in the next two to three years because the people we have joining now are just tremendous and just very, very talented. So you're bringing in Olympic champions at sales and marketing and product management. (laughs) I think... We would love to have those world-class athletes. Who wouldn't, right? And we talk about, you know, the war on talent. You know, that's absolutely top, top of mind in, in C-suite right now. We're working hard like any other tech company to attract people. But I think this new category of organization intelligence, it's not too abstract that people can't understand why we're doing what we're doing. So, yeah, if you look at the team in place right now, pound for pound, it's pretty stunning. And, of course, the more people you have who are extremely strong, attracts talent. And that's something that, you know, we are very, very aware of. What have been your biggest commercial successes to date? I think one of the things, you know, and and you will know this, as I'm sure many of your other, your guests will, but it doesn't really matter how much effort you put into everything, whether that's R&D or, you know, generally kind of cutting code, 
sales, go to market marketing. There is only one thing that really matters to a business when you're when you're starting up, and that's product to market fit. And we all talk about this, and we all know about this. But I think you know, looking back to February, March last year, we signed our first global technology company as a client, live using our enterprise software. That was a tremendously exciting moment for us, taking an order, purchase order, booking that in the system. It's something I'll never forget. And as any founder will know, it only actually takes a handful of really important clients to come on board to redo a stellar job with those for it to make a huge difference. And I think we've got that balance of focusing on tech, but also the client experience. And, you know, now we are in customer client acquisition, customer success. So it's going tremendously well. But I think, you know, any first, any first kind of transaction for a founder on, on enterprise tech is going to be one that really stands out. I bet that was a, a really special moment. Can you actually name any of your key clients or are there commercial sensitivities around that? We're pretty fortunate. You know, if you look back to um, some of our early successes, you know, we signed Rakuten, you know, again, a, a well-known technology organization. Some of our recent successes have been with Google, with Dyson, with Arup, and other global brands. And, and ultimately, you know, these, these are organizations that are, you know, very successful in their own right. But the catch-all is that they're all looking for some support in organizational transformation to some degree. And that is what we're very, very good at. So acquiring and looking after and making successful brands such as those have a tremendous impact on our ability to attract net new prospects. I read online one of the blogs that you're looking to expand into organizational health as a future direction for the business. I'd love to hear a bit more about your vision for Temporal over the next two, three, four years. Yeah, that's a long way out. Gosh, I think it could probably give you the two years, three and four, I'm probably going to struggle. Look, I think the key thing for us is that we would advocate to CEOs and their board members to be naturally adaptive, agile, operate with speed, velocity, bring in a high degree of emotional intelligence at an organizational level. Ultimately, organizations are looking really for two things. One is durability. Right now, durability, business durability is absolutely top of mind. How can we help executives be here in three, four, five years, but also to be profitable? It's exactly the same thing that we're thinking as well. So I think what you'll see from Temporal is a high degree of agility. I don't think we are going to be we're not going to be short of ideas for what we're going to do next on maybe some of the next new ideas that we have. But in terms of our kind of core platform, our core build, this term organizational health has been around for about 10, 15 years. It's quite poorly served. It's something that we want to disrupt. A lot of work has been done around organizational health. It is very, very static. It's very undynamic. And we want to change that. We want to turn organizational health into something that is in the moment, real-time, continuous, and the strategic impact can be measured in the moment. And that's something that no one is doing right now. So look, I'm super excited. We have a business-as-usual roadmap on our existing platform, but um, you know, we have a, a couple of things up our sleeves that we will be announcing. Who from the world of tech or the world of business culture inspired you to become who you are? Uh, that's a good question. You know, you know I've done a lot of reading. 
I think, in the last sort of 10, 15 years. And I wouldn't say that I have particularly followed one person's mantra or one person's style. I think it's very much about kind of picking up those incredible pieces of information or insight that one has pulled together. I think in today's highly politicized, dynamic, difficult, complex world that we all live in, I think it would be easy for me to lean back into Google and talk about someone like Sundar, who's the CEO. That's less about the what, but the how he operates and behaves. There's a calmness, there's a consideration. And I think that's something that um, I aspire to kind of be. In terms of just the ability to turn an organization and pivot a company to even greater success, I think actually probably Satya Nadella from Microsoft, I think is an absolutely fascinating case study to watch how he's managed to turn those kind of bedrock behaviors and values and transform Microsoft in the way that they operate to their clients, more importantly. I do look at some technology leaders And again, it's not what they do, it is how they behave in doing it that for me is actually more important. People never remember the number, they remember how you treat them. I admire that in people. No doubt you've used some of those ideas, those behaviors, and you're uh, deploying them now in the way you're treating the people in around your organization. I hope so. At the end of the day, you know, people have a choice where they want to work. And I hope that we continue to attract great people who want to come and work somewhere that we have some fun, but ultimately they can just be their best self. They can be equally kind and considerate to the people that they work around. So the whole how we turn up to each other and our clients is something that is incredibly important to me as the founder and something that we'll hold on to, I hope, forever. It sounds like you're creating a fabulous culture within your own organization, let alone within the clients that you're serving. So uh, that's great to hear. What do you know now about being an entrepreneur that you wish you'd known when you started out on this exciting journey? I think probably the thing that stands out for me the most is, and by the way, we'll never quite get this right because of course that's part of trying to continuously improve ourselves, is you cannot make things too simple for people to understand. And, you know, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, kind of full of ideas and you want to talk about the amazing things maybe that you can do or you're going to do, actually that's as exciting as that can be, it's actually the wrong thing to do. And I think what we have learned as a business is that an acuity of vision, both internally and externally, it brings a set of focused action, impact, and attention that people can get behind. That's internal. For our clients, actually having the horizon that we can talk to and simplifying the messaging again and again and again is something that I think we just got to carry on doing every single month, every single quarter. And I wish someone had told me that, is that the simplicity of messaging is actually the most important thing that I think I have learned, that I honestly had no idea above how important it would be to us. The simplicity of messaging, love that phrase. Being an entrepreneur can be all-consuming. It can really be a 24-7 almost lifestyle Mm. for, for some. So how do you find time for 
relax, friends, family? What do you do in your downtime? I have three children and, you know, spending time with them. And as you said, family and friends is incredibly important to me. I think what I've learned is just to kind of forgive myself, to give myself a bit of a break. You know, I do have to work every day. You know, I'll do a little bit of work on a Saturday. I'll do a little bit of work on a Sunday, but it's my choice. And I think I remind myself all the time is that you have made the choice not to work in the corporate environment. You have made the choice not to have to be on an airplane 12 times in every month. And the trade-off for that is, you know, I need to work hard. And I do work really hard. But I also feel now for the first time in my life, my working career, that I do have a balance. So, you know, yes, there have been occasions on a Sunday where I've had to work all day. But that is rare. And I like working. I enjoy it. I love putting energy into something that is taking shape and taking life. So I just, I'm very aware now of how much I'm putting in and when, but I also don't beat myself up. I don't do 12 hours in a day, or if one Sunday I am having to do more and more. And I just think that's really important. It's just to kind of know where you are and who you are. And just to give yourself a break, give yourself a pat on the back when you need to. And, you know, if not, it's okay. Life goes on. This is hard, hard work. And I want to be doing this for, you know, a significantly longer time. So it's all good. I'm sure you will be. Okay. In terms of books, blogs that you really enjoy reading, exploring, what are your favorite business or technology media that you love to spend time and absorb their ideas and guidance i've just come back from holiday you know and I, I made the decision that it was going to be fiction only for a week and that was wonderful that was just completely immersed myself into something that wasn't about business what were you reading on holiday then thomas gosh i can't even remember the title but it was actually it was about the, the czechoslovakian uprising in the 50s and the 80s so it was it was fantastic it was about the cold war and Wonderful. And I love history. I did archaeology at university, actually. So for me, looking back, it's a lot of fun. In terms of business, you know, it's trying to keep ahead of the curve. So I'm literally just reading at the moment uh, Tom Siebel's book about digital transformation, which is about why there is a need for C-suite and executives to really understand what digital transformation is. That's an obvious read for me. But I'm also an avid reader, I think, during the day anyway. So I follow a lot of Fortune, big fan of their CEO, tech, China, cybersecurity dailies. So I'm probably even now reading on average about an hour and a half every day on outside news just to keep me up to date with everything. And ultimately, that's been something I've done for many, many, many years. And it definitely gives me an edge. Awesome. Thomas. Thanks for joining me so soon after you came back from your holiday. Really. You're very welcome. Thank you for sharing your views and your insight on being a CEO decathlete, building a team of Olympians, and simple messaging. The simple message I'm taking away from today is how important simple messaging is for entrepreneurs and businessmen. So thank you so much for your time, Thomas. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.